Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. The government delays its clampdown on Airbnb and other short-term lettings. So does the company need more regulation as Ireland endures a housing crisis? The HSE reiterates its warning that we are in for a difficult winter. Its chief clinical officer says he has concerns about patient safety because of staff shortages. I'm worried about patient safety and about the uh, impact of, of, of uh, congestion in emergency departments, primarily because of the discomfort it causes the patients, but also uh, to their welfare and, and to their outcomes. And we will take a look at the stories that got you talking throughout the week. To join the conversation online with your comments and your questions, it's hashtag tonight VMTV. has updated how its Housing for All plan is going more than a year after it was first published. And deep in the detail was one target that was missed concerning short-term lets and one company in particular. The government's clampdown on Airbnb and similar companies has been delayed by five months. It's been a debate that has raged here for years. Should there be more regulation on these companies and their effects on the market? And that is what we are talking about in our nightly live interactive poll which will allow you at home to get involved in the show and tell us what you think about the big issues of the day. We're asking, should Airbnb lettings be banned to help ease the housing crisis? You can vote online now on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash vote or follow the QR code you currently see on your screen. Let's discuss this and much more with our panel. I'm joined by Kevin Doyle, Group Head of News at independent.ie. Journalist Valerie Cox, Fianna Fáil Senator Malcolm Byrne and People Before Profit TD Gino Kenny. You're all very welcome to the programme. Kevin, I'm going to start with you because Housing for All is obviously the coalition's plan, their answer to the housing crisis. And we got an updated version of the 2021 version uh, yesterday. What did we learn about the targets met and missed? Well, if you read the government press release which came out from the Department of Housing, it's fantastic news uh, all round and targets are being uh, met all over the place. And in fairness, uh, I, I know we'll end up getting a bit negative on it, but in fairness, there is has been a significant ramp up in terms of the actual construction of new houses. So going back to where we were two, three years ago, they are actually now building houses. We are going to be in the 20s of thousands of houses again, and it is going in the right direction. And the target was about, what, 24,000? And that is going to be met, if not beaten. It looks like we will actually exceed it this year. So that, that is progress now. Where you get into social and affordable housing, those targets are off and they're not going to, to come there. But uh, when you actually go down into a number of the measures, which I found a little bit more interesting, was some of the stuff around 
the bitty stuff that the government is trying to do to get the market to be a bit more stable and a bit more normal. And that's where we're kind of seeing things pushed out. And of course, none of that was announced in the press release. You have to go and compare the original version versus the current version. And it really strikes me. Politicians in this, well, in every country have this awful habit of over-promising. And the very name of this document over-promises because housing for all, um, it's not coming anywhere close to that. And so you've highlighted the Airbnb question. Mm which is something that has been talked about going back uh, well into the early part of 2021, when it was kind of highlighted that anybody who went on daft, particularly in, place, in, in cities looking for somewhere to rent, found that if they went on Airbnb and looked for somewhere to rent for a weekend or a week or a fortnight, mm. they had loads of options. But if they wanted somewhere to rent for a year, they had much, much less. And there so there is supply, down. basically. There is supply out there. It's mm. just a lot of it is tied up on sites like Airbnb. Well, the reality is if you go to, and even to provincial towns, if someone rents out a house for three months in the summer to Americans coming over or even Irish people going on their holidays in, in one of the, the beach towns around the course, if they rent that out for three months on Airbnb, they can probably make what they would make if they put it out for 12 months and had to get into that whole space with landlord and all the, the obvious uh, RTB and things that come with that. So there's money to be made on Airbnb that perhaps it's a much quicker uh, book and a much easier book to make than doing it as a long-term rental. All right, so Malcolm Byrne, we heard, I think it was last uh, May, I think Dar O'Brien, the housing minister, said a crackdown. That's what he told the Fine Gael party. It's going to be a crackdown on Airbnb. And now we hear in November 2022, that that's been delayed by another five months and no guarantee that any of those regulations will be introduced then either. Why? Why is that deadline missed? Well, well first of all, and I think it is important, and in terms of what Kevin said, is we are talking about an, over 24,000 additional homes being built this year. Yes, and we have recognised that. Including, by the way, over 8,000 new builds social homes as well. So, um, because this is not, as, as Kevin would have acknowledged, this is not a case of that, you know, by doing one thing with regard to housing that it will solve all the problems. There's a number of issues that are there. Um, in terms of, of Airbnb, and I think we've got to remember as well that Airbnb and other short-term letting options are important. They're really important to the tourism sector. Uh, they're also very important for businesses where you have people who may require short-term letting for a period. They're important for people who, for particular reasons may have to move out of their home. Yes, but the government so, has recognised itself, the government has recognised that they need to be regulated. So, 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 so and why is, hasn't that happened? And what it, well, what is happening is that there's discussions that are going on at the moment with Fault Ireland, and by next spring, uh, the provision will be in place that for all short-term letting and holiday letting uh, accommodation in Ireland, they will have to register uh, with uh, uh, Fault Ireland You'll get a registration number. Okay. And then if you're if yes, you're sorry, letting... sorry, sorry to cut across you, Malcolm. We all know what's been promised. We all know what these regulations Well, well this are. is something I was speaking with the but, department. What I'm trying to figure out is why something that was promised as a crackdown last May has not happened in November in the middle of a really serious, as recognised by everybody, it, housing crisis. It, it, why it, the delay? It I don't is. understand but that. But if we close, I mean, and, and, and this is something that, you know, people assume that, oh, let's do one thing here and let's see what, what happens. If we, let's say there was a crackdown on Airbnb and some people have been calling for the idea that we should ban Airbnb and so on, you've got to think about the impact that that would have then on other sectors of okay, the economy. Okay, still not answering my question, why the delay? Uh, uh, the delay is happening because it has to be done properly. Uh, and the system that is, yeah, but, but Valerie, I know you're saying, but here, here's, here's the point. 
If we close down, everyone says, let's crack down on Airbnb. Let's, let's not allow short-term lets uh, in Ireland. One, there's a lot of people who let for short-term reasons that they can't let for the full year. So they, they do it for, you know, fa- you know, because they're family for reasons. I know, for instance, the Wexford Opera Festival that's on at the moment, there are particular families who decide we will make rooms or our homes available during the festival because it allows it to continue. We also have the challenge, you've got to remember, which right. we weren't considering. Okay, the 90 day rule is what the clampdown oh, oh, no, no, no. is. The, to be but the, the 90 day rule is there because if you let out your property for more than 90 days, you are supposed to have. Yeah, I think, I think the word is, I think the word there, with all due respect, Malcolm, is supposed. Yeah. I don't think any believes. Anybody. I, I, and I accept we that, did an analysis of tiny did. number. We did an analysis on this several months ago in the Indo, and a tiny number of local authorities launched any investigation. Like but, we're talking in the teams. But how many properties yeah. so it's completely are there? Okay, but how many properties here, are we talking about? How yeah. many properties are we talking And I'm not doubting that, that it is a problem, but how many properties are we talking about here? And we've right, got to remember Malcolm, we can't to use a sledgehammer to crack yeah. a nut. But we're also talking about people who are in government who we should be able to trust to make these plans and to bring them f- forward and not just promises. I mean, we're looking at something now that was promised for the end of this year and it's not now going to happen until 2023. Now, that is absolutely ridiculous. And what also surprised me was Minister... But, but no, what no, do you want to us mi- to do, Valerie? OK, I'll tell you. Minister Dara O'Brien said the government needs to take a look at the data from the revamped local property tax. Why? You can't pay property tax unless you've actually got a home. That's ridiculous. He also said the target of 312,000 housing units was for 2030. That is eight years away. Now, if the government... That, that's the Housing for All plan, Malou. Yes, which is, I know that. Which is, in order for us to be able to... We, we can't build... We don't have the capacity to build 300,000 in okay. one or two years. But you're pa- playing with figures. You are absolutely playing with figures. All right, I just want to let Gino in here because I'm trying to just focus on the on the Airbnb yeah. issue because I think it has been recognised that if it is regulated, that yeah. it will bring some of these we're properties in, back onto the ordinary yeah. market. I'm not, we're obviously in a health emergency at the moment and Airbnb, in my opinion, skews the rental market from short-term st- stays to long-term stays. Do you think it should be banned outright, Gino? I think it would be very, very difficult to ban it outright, but it needs more regulation. And obviously the law that came in 2019 to regulate the Airbnb market hasn't been, hasn't been effective whatsoever. So obviously, you know, there is very, very little regulation when somebody can register their property in relation to Airbnb. And so what situ- restrictions, Gino, do you think should be brought in? Well, I think it needs to be more regulate, regulation. Um, and you, if you have a situation where somebody goes out to kind of rent a property and so forth, there's more on an Airbnb site than, say, a daft.ie site, then there's, a, then there's a situation that's going on that's just unsustainable. And obviously, short-term letting is very, very possible, very, very possible. And in that situation, uh, the government in situ has to put emergency powers to actually stop that and skew the market. Okay, but what you will do there, Gino, is, right, and the, the key is about getting more supply in terms of long-term rental. Mm-hmm. And I do agree with you in terms of those who are, if you like, playing the market and are renting their properties out for more than 90 days. But there's a lot of properties on sites like Airbnb and Booking.com and others. And what it is, is they are actually, you know, short-term rentals and, and, and lettings, which you'd see about festivals, you'd see, you know, during summer, you have some accommodation that is purpose-built uh, as holiday accommodation. And in many cases at the moment is being used uh, in order to house displaced persons from the Ukraine. So, so the problem would be is that if you talk about, you know, this 
huge big sledgehammer to crack a nut on Airbnb, what you will actually do is you potentially do more damage to the tourism market, which okay. is already under a lot of pressure at present. I, I do agree fair, with the regulation, which is, is, which is what is being proposed, where you have to register with Falch Ireland, and only when you have that about- registration... Only when you have that registration number can you then advertise with the likes of Airbnb and All right, but I think most people believe that it will cut the number of properties that people were going to put up on Airbnbs. It'll make it less attractive. Uh, Airbnb did also say in a statement today, Kevin, that their data revealed that more than half of hosts say the additional income that they get from renting their property in Airbnb helps them afford the current cost of living and over a third say it helps them to make ends meet. Is that a difficulty for the government here too? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the people who put their properties on Airbnb are doing it for a reason, is which is that they have a property mm. that's empty otherwise and they can make money off it. So why wouldn't they? There's an obvious logic to that. But this uh, would the suggest that they need, the, they need the money, you know, that this isn't sort mm. of surplus cash that you, you know, put away for your holiday yeah. next year. They're saying we need this to help us to make ends meet at but the there moment. But are, there are obvious questions around that. I, I wonder if Airbnb have surveyed how many of those people are paying the uh, appropriate tax mm on that income that's coming because that's up to the property owner. That's not Airbnb's job to monitor. And when you don't have a register of these properties and who are doing it, there's questions like that to come into play. But Malcolm did pick up on a point there, I think, which is if we're going to now have this clampdown next April, May, probably, that's a really bad time to do it. Now would be the time to do it because with the amount of hotel space currently taken up because of the refugee crisis, we are going to have a very unusual tourist season And a demand for these properties? And there will be huge demand for Airbnb. The word word we shouldn't use is clampdown because what it actually is... I think that was the word that came from Darrell Bryan. The the word is about registration. It's about registration. What we've got to do is we've got to help to ensure that there are enough rental properties available for those who want long-term rental, but equally that we have short-term rental options available, particularly for the tourist market. All right, I want to go to another uh, story today, and that's the HSE warning of concerns over patient safety due to a shortage of staff. Take a listen. Of course, we, 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 I'm worried about patient safety and about the uh, impact of, of, of uh, congestion in emergency departments, primarily because of the discomfort it causes the patients, but also uh, to their welfare and, and to their outcomes. So I'd love to give the reassurance that maybe the people who contact you would like to hear that everything is going to get better overnight, but it's not. This is tough and we are competing in an international market. Well, let's bring in health specialist uh, Brian Turner, an economist and lecturer at UCC. Brian, thanks for joining us this evening. You said in a statement today that the HSE has created a rationing of care. What do you mean by that? Well, I suppose in, in typical economic terms, uh, demand and supply are, are the kind of the main factors that make up any uh, any market. So if demand exceeds supply, usually the price mechanism will adjust the market to to bring it back into equilibrium. But in the case of healthcare, we don't have a price mechanism because, uh, you know, in terms of the public healthcare system, it's free at the point of use. So the the way that, uh, or what that results in then is rationing of care. Now, we're not unusual, just to to point that out, every healthcare system has to ration care somehow. Uh, It's a case of how how much rationing and how they actually do it. So in the Irish system, the, the main uh, way in which care is rationed is through waiting lists uh, in terms of the public hospital treatment. And what we're seeing is very significant waiting lists uh, in Ireland and growing waiting lists, uh, probably, in fact, actually the worst waiting lists in Europe, according to a, a report uh, that was that was done by the uh, the European Health Consumer Powerhouse uh, a couple of years back. So that's, that's I suppose, the biggest problem uh, in the Irish system is the, the, the rationing of care and the capacity issues, I suppose. 
And obviously, the shortage of staff is going to exacerbate that waiting list problem. Listening to Colin Henry there, he seemed to be saying, look, this is an international problem. There is a recruitment issue around the world. Is that a fair excuse? It is a fair comment. Uh, I mean, there, there was a study that was published in 2019 that suggested that by 2030, we're going to have an OECD-wide shortage of about 386,000 doctors and two and a half million nurses. Now, since that was published, we've had a pandemic which has exhausted a lot of the frontline staff. In fact, I was reading today uh, that 25% uh, of uh, healthcare workers in the US uh, in a survey have said that they're actually considering leaving healthcare altogether. So, that's the, the, the international backdrop in which we're trying to recruit significant additional numbers uh, under the Solange Care proposals. And ESRI research that has been published since Solange Care was published suggests that even if we get the, the, the additional capacity that Solange Care is looking for, that still won't actually be enough to, to meet the increased demand from the, the growing and the aging population. And I suppose just to put that into perspective, the, the Solange Care report and the, the accompanying health service capacity review in 2018 were based on population projections that have already been exceeded. So uh, by 2026, we, the, the projection was that we'd have uh, just over 5.1 million uh, population. We're already at that. So the, the CSO uh, preliminary figures for the census in April suggest that we're, we're almost already at the 2026 figures uh, that were forecast uh, and on, on the basis of which the, uh, the, the additional capacity in launch care was uh, was proposed. Okay, I want to put this to the panel. I know, Valerie, you've had a recent personal experience of yeah. A&E. What was it like? Well, uh, my husband was taken into A&E and uh, there were 200 people waiting in one night in A&E. Now, he was very lucky uh, because of his symptoms and so on. He was taken straight in. But 200 people... And, you know, I was really interested in what was wrong with them. Now, obviously, you have seriously ill people, you have accidents and all that kind of thing. And there were a fair few people in that category. But there were other people in there who maybe got, I don't know, not a cut finger exactly, but those sort of things that could probably have been done and looked after in some sort of a clinic, rather than cluttering up an A&E where you've got, you know, very qualified personnel who are waiting to look after these awful things. And I think that's very frightening for people. I saw a lot of people that night going in, you know, fear on their faces and asking the triage nurse, when am I going to be seen? I feel really badly or I've got my mother here mm. and, you know, we've got her onto a trolley, but she's in a very bad way. Yeah. It shouldn't be like that. No, and I had got the sense today, Malcolm, like, like Colm Henry was nearly trying to prepare us, you know, prepare us for this winter. It's going to be really bad. It's going to be difficult. There will be staff shortages so that when it happens, you can say, well, at least we were aware of this. Is that good enough? Well, I, I, I think it's better that, you know, there's an honesty that's there and Colin Henry was honest about it. And he talked as well with the international experience. So he talked about Australia, which has just been through its winter, where it has been particularly difficult on yeah. the health service there. There are a number of challenges that are going to be facing um, the health service. Uh, some of them uh, are obviously around us dealing with COVID and flu and, and so on and, and the impact of that. So the question is, what is the winter plan doing to be able to address uh, some of that? So that includes a number of things around additional capacity in our hospitals, which does mean and which is okay. what is happening around additional beds and additional okay. staff. Okay. Uh, what, it, what it also means then is about pathways for patient care. Yes, but so I'm just listening. Know... Sorry to cut across you. I'm conscious we have discussed that winter plan here before. And yet you have Colm Henry from the HSC saying patient outcomes 
that's what at risk is at mm. risk here. Yeah, um, I mean, know? obviously, what Colin Henry today said today was, uh, it's it's unacceptable that people, our citizens of this country, have to go to ED departments and be told that they have to wait at least at least twenty four hours before they're seen to. Mm. Uh, that's a, an absolute Despite additional a, a capacity, national, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a national shambolic situation. Mm. Um, and you have situations where staff are run off their feet and, and the IMO have stated today that uh, there was a situation where there should have been 18 nurses. Uh, in, in this situation, there was only 10. That is a completely unsafe situation, not only mm. for the staff, but also the patients. All right. It's absolutely shambolic that this keeps, continuously happens. OK, I just want to move on um, finally to another story. A bad day in the tech sector in Ireland, Kevin. Not only do we have rumours that t Twitter, which is, I think... 500 people working here in Ireland mm. that there's going to be announcements around redundancies tomorrow. But Stripe, a real Irish success story, also talking about redundancies. Yeah, the Collison brothers, who people will, will know as one of our billionaires, they always make the, the rich lists. Um, real success stories. Yeah, no, mm. and one of those, uh, you know, one of those ones that people actually get behind. We often don't like billionaires, but the, the Collison brothers are particularly popular guys. And Stripe, their online payment company, has been a huge global uh, success. And... Um, the news today from it is basically they're cutting 14% of their workforce, so about a thousand jobs globally. And the explanation for it is that they have overhired, basically, that they expected growth in directions that it's now not going to go. And what's worrying about that is, I suppose, that there is a fear, particularly in that tech sector, that a lot of companies have done that. And obviously, we are hugely Exposed. reliant on the tech sector for employment in, in, in Dublin, particularly. Um, so there is a fear that maybe this is a sign of things that's to come in the months ahead, especially with talk of global recessions. All right. Um, I just want to go to one final story uh, for this part of the programme, and that's coming from County Wexford this evening. It is bearing the brunt of some really awful weather. Gorey and surrounding areas were the worst hit by heavy rain, with parts of the M11 motorway closed. And you're just looking at some footage we received this evening uh, of those scenes. The County Council says emergency crews and up to 10 fire tenders, including two from Wicklow, have been working to try and relieve the worst uh, affected areas. I know you drove up this evening, Malcolm, from that area. What was it like? Well, th those are, uh, that's going my hometown uh, and certainly to pay tribute to the crew from Wexford County Council, the fire services uh, and others um, who, who helped out and who were still out cleaning the streets uh, and part of the motorway was closed. Um, it, it, it was serious. Um, there were roads in areas that, that I've never seen flooded before uh, were flooded. Uh, there were sandbags were distributed to businesses and houses. Uh, unfortunately, some of these incidents are becoming all too common um, mm. and the message is still to people to, uh, to drive safely. But uh, it, just this afternoon, I was conscious looking out my kitchen window and torrents of rain uh, just, just coming down. Um, it, it was scary stuff, um, oh, but I think to, to, there's real examples of public service. Those crews that are out there, they've been out there you know, all day. And, yeah, and still the, I think the message the was if you don't have to drive... Yeah. in and around that area this evening, uh, please don't. All right, my thanks to Brian Turner, to Malcolm Byrne and to Gino Kenny for joining us this evening. Kevin and Valerie will be staying with me and we're going to take a look at some of the stories that you might have missed on this busy midterm week. Now, a reminder about our nightly live interactive poll, which lets you get involved in the show and tells 
us what you think about the big issues of the day. Tonight, we're asking, should Airbnb lettings be banned to help ease the housing crisis? You can vote online on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash vote or follow the QR code you can see on your screen. At the moment, a slight majority of voters are favouring no ban on short-term rentals, but we'll bring you the full result later in the programme. Now to the United States, where it is only a few days until crucial midterm elections that could define the rest. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. ...of Joe Biden's term in office. But the president says that the vote is about much more. He says democracy itself is at risk due to Republicans threatening not to recognise the results if they lose. We don't settle our differences in America with a riot a mob, or a bullet, or a hammer. We settle them peaceably at the battle, at the battle box, the ballot box. We have to be honest with ourselves, though. We have to face this problem. We can't turn away from it. We can't pretend it's just going to solve itself. There's an alarming rise in the number of our people in this country condoning political violence or simply remaining silence because silence is complicity. Well, Virgin Media News correspondent Richard Chambers joins me live now from Greensboro in Georgia. Uh, Richard, lovely to speak to you this evening. Joe Biden there warning, I suppose, about the dangers of, of voters and indeed candidates not accepting the outcome of elections. Have you seen any evidence of this on your trip to date? Yeah, plenty of it, Kira, today. I think that is something which has been very, very evident if you ever speak to a group of Republican voters uh, anywhere, whether it be in Florida or Georgia, where we have been so far. Uh, really, the uh, understanding amongst the Republican voters is that they very much are of the view, at least a significant majority of them that we've been speaking to, of ordinary Republican voters, that they believe that uh, Joe Biden did not win the 2020 US president, uh, presidential election, that Donald Trump should have won that election, that there was some sort of vast 
vast conspiracy or fraud to uh, betray those MAGA supporters across America. And they really see this as the opportunity to get their own back, to get people who don't believe that Joe Biden won the 2020 presidential election elected into uh, key positions both in their own states and in the United States Congress. So that's what they mean when you say democracy is on the ballot, electing people who do not believe the democratic process was served in 2020 and who will try to make a difference in terms of 2024. That is something uh, which really has been crucial to the Republican campaign so far. Uh, just yesterday, I was in uh, uh, the town of Richmond Hill uh, in Georgia, just across the border from Florida, where Herschel Walker was having a rally. Here's what a number of Republican voters had to say to us. When Trump was in office, there was no conflicts anywhere. I mean, now, you know, China's, be China's wanting to become the number one world power. There, and, and, and if we keep going the way we're going, uh, within the next five years, we're going to be speaking Chinese because they're going to try to come over and take over the U.S. Bring Trump back. Bring him back. I'm a Trumper all the way and would vote for him again. Did he win the last election? Uh, yes, he did. Yeah, so really that is the view from Republicans here. And the threat to democracy is really energizing people uh, here in the state of Georgia amongst the Democratic uh, side of things. Of course, two Democratic senators here in Georgia, one of them up for re-election. And it is that seat in the U.S. Senate that could very well tip the balance of power back towards the Republicans who are expected to regain uh, the House of Representatives if they win Raphael Warnock's seat here in Georgia with candidate Herschel Walker. That really will be a sign that Joe Biden, uh, the tide has gone out for the Democrats and they are facing a very, very tough time over the next couple of years. In terms of that instability, that uncertainty around how democracy is uh, taking place, there have been reports of people with guns uh, watching ballot boxes. Of course, there is early voting in a number of states. Uh, so really, there has been widespread reports, both in Georgia and in Arizona and other places across America as well, of voter intimidation, as well as that threats against candidates. Everybody will have seen what happened uh, to Nancy Pelosi's husband as well. Well, uh, but here in Georgia, very hot-tempered campaign. Herschel Walker, as I mentioned, handpicked by Donald Trump, former U.S. Uh, American football star, running against Raphael Warnock. No uh, uh, love lost between those candidates. Uh, Barack Obama has been flown into Georgia to try and rally the troops for uh, the Democratic side. That's how much uh, they view this as crucial to their chances of getting through any of the key uh, elements of Biden's agenda for the next couple of years, whether that be climate change, support for Ukraine, or uh, key infrastructure measures as well. Really, the view amongst Democrats is if they do not win these elections or they do not win at least one of the houses in Congress, it is time for other candidates to stick their name forward, throw their hat into the ring with regards to 2024. Interesting times at Richard Chambers. we leave it there for now. Uh, for more on this story and other stories you may have missed this week, I am joined again by Kevin Doyle, Group Head of News at Independent.ie, journalist Valerie Cox and Gina London, uh, CEO of Language of Leadership. Gina, you're very welcome to the programme. I'm going to start with you because you have family, of course, in the United States. Are they suspicious about the voting process there now? It's a very courageous time to go out to a ballot box and actually put in your ballot in a drop box when right next to you, and especially as, as he was talking just a moment ago about the intimidation in Arizona in particular, when you've got people in camouflage, armed, wearing masks. Now, there was just a judge, a Trump-appointed judge, interestingly, that said that can't happen any longer. Those watchers have to go away. 
But my sister, who lives in Ohio, I'm American, I voted absentee, but my sister in Ohio said she actually and her husband, because they're voting blue in a rather red state, they actually drove to another town to put their ballots in because they didn't want anyone to see them as they were voting early. So it's a very, very volatile time. It's a tense time. Interestingly, though, that there are more voters already who have come out than they've even expected, and they do predict that there will be record turnout. And normally, there's not a lot of turnout in a midterm, but that they expect that the 2018, which was a record-setting midterm, most recently, that the numbers for this time now in 2022 will be even more. Um, Kevin, you would have covered the election back in 2016, wouldn't it, the Donald Trump, um, Hillary Clinton? We remember just how as was volatile and divisive that was. But I think at the time we thought, this is a snapshot. This is just because of these two particular candidates. And it's not. It, it doesn't sound like it's improved at all. No, and I remember the intensity around that. And we thought that was a moment. We thought that was basically Trump won. Things would settle down. People still believed at that point that he would go into the White House and actually become a politician because he was just this loud businessman back then. I remember that night after he, people going around Times Square in New York with Confederation flags chanting that they were taking back the Constitution and taking back their country. And that was now seems almost quaint compared to what we've seen in January 6th and seeing what we're seeing now in terms of what Jean is talking about. And, in terms and, of voter intimidation. Yeah. And of course, Trump's name isn't on the ballot, but over the next few days, he is going, I think, to Florida, to Wisconsin uh, and Pennsylvania, three of the states where there are big seats up for for to be won and that, that will, could swing either direction. So And a vote for those candidates that he supported is sort of seen as a vote of endorsement for Donald Trump again, isn't it? Oh, that's it. It'll set, his agenda is on the ballot, even if he is not. And it's really, it's a funny thing because, you know, Bill Clinton used to have the old idea of economy stupid and that's what elections were always about. This is much more of a culture war. And, and for all Joe Biden's talk about democracy being on the ballot paper, it's not, that's not really what people will ultimately, I think, vote on. It is on the personalities and on the issues, which are things like abortion um, and a lot of the kind of the idea of America and that man saying that they're all going to be speaking Chinese in five years, that sort of thing. Um, one of the other things that's come up this week, I suppose, is Joe Biden and the fact that he's going to turn 80 uh, this month and he has signaled his intention to want to run again. Um, in 2024. I think we're going to see some live pictures of Joe Biden in just a few moments. But it always leads to questions, doesn't it, Valerie, about, I suppose, his age and his cognitive function and whether he is up to it. Do you think well, that's fair? They're two very different things now, age and, <clears throat> excuse me, cognitive function. I mean, I think if we talk about his age, that's just pure ageism and we don't need that. I mean, Eamon de Valera worked into his 90s. Michael D is, uh, I think, 76, is he? Or he'll be 86 in the next election. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if these people... But I suppose this is a very different job to the role that Michael D has, isn't well, it? Well, it is. But if people are of a certain age, advanced years, and they're perfectly competent at doing their job, that's fine. Now, I'm not saying all these individuals are, you know, um, but uh, I think if they're competent, that's grand. Otherwise, um, if they can't do the job, yes, let them go, but never on the basis of age. I think that's a very dangerous road to go down because where do we stop? When do we decide that somebody is too old to do a job? We don't. Yeah. It just depends on their competence. OK, one other uh, story that I think a lot of journalists have been discussing this week, um, Gina London, is Twitter and Elon Musk taking over Twitter. And one of the first things that he has spoken about is this blue tick, whether or not he's going to get people to pay for this blue tick. 
What is the blue tick first? Well, the blue tick is a, is a verification signal that's that that you get really when you're a public public figure and, and for a variety of different ways. But one of the things, for example, that there's 440,000 of them at this point, and the the story was that he was going to have a charge for it now a monthly fee of $12 a month and then Stephen King the writer came right out again on Twitter he announced it on Twitter Elon Musk in his reckless fashion of being the new head of Twitter and he put that out there and right away Stephen King said expletive they need to pay me to be on this as opposed to me paying and then they negotiated and in live Twitter fashion with Elon Musk say well how about eight but the math and I can't do it because I don't remember what the quote was but if you take $8 a month times the 440,000 people that have these verified blue ticks next to their name, and you're trying to get $44 billion, he'll roughly pay that back in some multi-thousands of years. Yeah, so not, it's not going to be enough. isn't great, Not going to be enough to make up the gap for buying that loss leader that he did with, this, with the funds. But it is interesting, I think, already to see how you're having a lot of uncertainty because he is so reckless two days after he took over and he made that crazy conspiracy link about Nancy Pelosi's husband that he did, took down, but he never apologized for. And already you've seen General Motors has suspended its advertising on Twitter and they're still talking to their consumers. But what will happen with these verified users? What will happen with the advertisers of Twitter? They probably won't pay up and a lot of the advertisers will probably not pay up. I think you might see not just employees exiting Twitter, but you might see a lot of other users exiting, exiting Twitter. as well. Uh, would you exit? I know you're on Twitter every 10 minutes, Kevin. That's right. that's, that's, Kevin is one of the world's the 400,000 people who has a blue tick, which he's very proud of. If you lost it, would you pay for it? And do you think Twitter's future is under threat? Kira, if you think I'm going to pay 100 euro a year to have a blue tick on my Twitter account in a cost of living crisis, you're insane. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I, I actually find the whole thing um, kind of hard to get your head around because Elon Musk has presented himself as this guy who is the defender of free speech. Mm -hmm. And it kind of goes back to the, what we're talking about in terms of US politics at the minute. But he's basically saying, I'm making Twitter open to the everyman on the street. Meanwhile, he wants to charge $8 a month for He's that got to free make speech. Back that, that 44 billion, doesn't he? He has He's to never air, air it across. He is He's never getting that back. Getting that back. It's the most crazy investment ever. But Twitter will survive. But I think Elon Musk will, will, will his place in it, I, I don't know, like the idea of just walking in, sacking everybody, changing, tearing up the rules. It's, it's crazy, crazy time. Uh, would you miss it, Valerie, if it disappeared? Or um, is it a bit, I, like I'm conscious when we discuss Twitter, the journalists are obsessed with it. And perhaps the rest of the outside world isn't quite as yeah, interested I, in it or as influenced by it. I think, think you're right, actually. Um, journalists are pretty obsessed with it. I wouldn't be on it all the time, but I would use it. I certainly would not pay for it. There is no way I'd pay for it. But I suspect that somebody else will come up with an alternative to Twitter. You know, mm. I don't know who mm. yet. That the advantage Twitter has right now and why it will survive beyond the way Facebook and, and Instagram operate, it's a very different thing. But if you look at the way politics and public figures interact with the public now, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. Rishi Sunak announces that he's running for prime minister on, on Twitter. Twitter. Mm -hmm. yeah. Penny Morton announces she's not running for it on Twitter. And so it is being used by those type of people. And that's where the space Twitter is in. So take away all the trolls and all the hating and all the bad stuff that's there. But public figures are using it as a way to announce things publicly. And, and that's why it will probably survive. But that's not going to make Elon Musk much money. Uh, I just want to move on finally to the elections, I suppose, in um, Brazil. And I think it would have been quite an unexpected result a couple of months ago. Um, 
uh, Bolsonaro had said that only God could remove him, but anyway, he's gone and he seems to have accepted it. Is the big winner here the environment? Well, the big winner, yes, as a result of a left-leaning person taking over an extreme right-leaning person, which could hopefully maybe be a little bit of a harbinger of what's going on in the United States. Joe Biden's already promised $2 billion, $20 billion rather, if there is some indications that the rainforests that were absolutely set on fire by Bolsonaro will actually now be protected under, under um, Lula. And if that happens, then that could be good, not only for the rainforest in the Amazon in Brazil, but also for climate change in general in the world. All right, look, we're going to leave it there, but there's lots more after the break as we continue to look at the biggest stories of the week and bring you the results of tonight's live poll. Do stay with us. our nightly interactive poll. And tonight's question was, should Airbnb lettings be banned to help ease the housing crisis? Well, the result of that poll was 45% in favour of banning such rentals and 55% against. So a slight majority not in favour of the ban. And probably, Kevin, that shouldn't really surprise us because it is incredibly popular. A lot of people use it. To be honest, Kira, I'm surprised that it's that close. I would have thought that very few people would actually be in favour of an outright ban because, let's be honest, we all have either used it or know someone in our families that have used it. And uh, so I'm actually surprised that it's that close, but maybe people feel that strongly about where the housing crisis has got to at this stage. All right, I want to move on to some of the other stories um, that we perhaps haven't had a chance to discuss in great detail this week. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, coming back to a television screen, Virgin Media, uh, very, very soon, and Matt Hancock... Uh, is going to be joining the lineup. The first question, the former um, Conservative politician in the UK, former minister, are politicians celebrities, Valerie? Is that the first question? No. I mean, a very odd politician becomes a celebrity in his own right. I mean, I'm thinking probably somebody like Bertie Ahern, but this is an absolute disgrace. How can this person who's receiving about £85,000 from the taxpayer to mind his constituency, turn round and take off to the jungle for several weeks. Now, there's several aspects to this. And I think the most important one is, you know, this is his, the dying flair. I mean, he's not going to go back into politics. Nobody's going to vote for him. He just wants to make money and he's going to make quite a lot on this, probably about 300,000, which has set him up for a while. There is no way he's going back into politics. And you saw the way he was even snubbed by Rishi Sunak. I mean, he, ca- he just cannot go back in. So he has to think of ways of making money. But he's also proved that he's quite a threat to the government now because he'll be sitting in the campfire and they'll be cooking sausages and he'll be entering entertaining them all with little stories from the cabinet Well, we hope he could be an absolute damp squib, couldn't he, Gina? (laughs) That is a possibility too. I mean, he wasn't the most... I think, dynamic of politicians. No, but he does have a really big welcome for himself. And so he'll be (laughs) right there amongst all of the other ones out there trying to make that celebrity fire flame up. He reminds me a lot in the, speaking of wannabe celebrities, of when Sean Spicer, the the press secretary for Donald Trump, went off to go with Dancing with the Stars after he hung up his dancing shoes about being the press secretary for the president. And again... Didn't fare so well with the dancers, but had his 37 and so minutes of fame. And I think that's what we're looking yeah. at, is someone who's desperately trying to keep in the spotlight in some way. In and we've seen fashion. it in the UK. We see Ed Balls on Good Morning Britain. He rehabilitated himself. We see Nigel Farage 
has his own TV slot too, doesn't he? I mean, would it work here, Kevin? Could you ever see an Irish politician doing this? Would they get away with it? Uh, well, I, I think in the country <laughs> they probably would. Uh, Wasn't there a guy named Ivan Yates that did a little stint in politics and then the never heard of him? Yeah. 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 you're talking about? <laughs> I, I think it's it's kind of funny because we've totally jumped the shark now. Because let's be honest, like Newsnight uh, in the UK has effectively been our, our TV drama for for a couple of years now, and the idea now that he's going in there, it is as Valerie says, he has to drop stories that otherwise he's got to deliver the goods. But let's be honest. He will get so many votes. If a politician's job is to get votes, he will get so many votes. But unfortunately, it's going to be eating things um, that Heidi Klum might dress up as uh, rather than, than actual votes from his constituents. Yeah, so look, it's going to be great entertainment. And to oh, be honest, I'll be watching, I'm watching. Like, I'll be watching yeah. Virgin Media and Television coming to your screen very soon. OK, I want to move on, um, Valerie, to the Collins word of the year for 2022. Yes. Permacrisis. An I think it's a great word. period of instability yep. and insecurity. It's an absolutely brilliant word. Permacrisis. And you think permafrost. So, you, you know, you get it very quickly. I think it's a very fitting word. Totally relevant. I mean, people are finding themselves in this crisis. Personal crisis, you know, where they don't have enough money to pay the ESB or the heating bills or whatever, the cost of living. And then you've got all the wider problems in the world piling up against them as well. And climate change and all the rest of it. It just encapsulates that. I don't know who thought it up, but it's brilliant. Um, does it help, do you think, Gina, or, uh, yeah, Gina, because we've gone through a pretty tumultuous time, haven't we? Like right back to 2008, up to you know the, the recession, then we had the pandemic, a war, a cost of living crisis. Do you think it helps to put a name on it to say, yes, we are going through extraordinary times and it's, you know, it's okay to feel uncertain or anxious? Oh, absolutely. I mean, giving, giving labels to things help, helps us go out of the ephemeral feelings and flickering emotions in our mind and helps us hang it onto a word, helps us be able to talk about it with someone else and be able to have a like discussion around it. But it is, although apt and what you just said, it is sad to think mm. about that this is where we are, that we're coming up with the words for this ongoing feeling of uncertainty and un ongoing feeling of isolation and division around tensions around personalities and looking at the politics and dehumanizing of candidates and the things that we've mm -hmm. been getting into the rhetoric and the trolling and all this kind of stuff. It's a little bit sad and I was saying actually to your researcher before I came on we were talking about this topic that just a few years ago I remember when a happy word like selfie was the word of the oh, year. Simpler and times. We are not there now. Now, um, speaking of somebody who I think might be going through a bit of a permacrisis, it's Heidi Klum. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she had, without a shadow of a doubt, the Halloween costume of the year, of the decade. She dressed up as a worm. Here she is talking to a reporter on, I think, the red carpet of her Halloween party. Hey, Heidi, how are you? I'm great, how are you? Just hanging around or laying around? You know, just laying around, just warming around, you know? So, so what is it, like, you've done so many spectacular costumes. How did this one come about? I don't know, I just wanted to be something random. I wanted to think outside of the box. And, you know, I thought a rainworm would be kind of fun. We all know worms, but um, I don't think I've ever seen anyone being a rainworm before. 
No, I, no, I, <laughs> I think, I I think you're it. right. We need a little levity in the time of perma crisis. Although I would say, if I looked like Heidi Klum, I would dress up like Heidi Klum every single year. <laughs> she's I, famous, I, to be honest, she's famous for her Halloween parties. I think it's a riot. Yeah, did it not just give us something to laugh about? You weren't happy talking about this, Valerie. We shouldn't be giving celebrities the time of day. No, I mean, she was just looking for publicity, and well, she got it obviously. But it's hideous. Look at her. Ugh. I thought it was fantastic. Like channeling my father now. She's looking for attention. Could she not just wear a bin bag like those kids of the 90s? And call herself a witch yeah. or a wizard. Okay, finally, before we go, uh, the other hot topic uh, today was bounties. Yes. What did the bounty suite of Mutiny oh, of the Bounty. Yeah, what did it do well, wrong? I think they've taken away our dreams because I remember when Bounty Bar... Stop laughing, Kevin. You can tweet this afterwards. This but is the Bounty Bar is going to be removed yeah. from the box of celebrations in the UK, not in Ireland. In it's been tried in the UK. have your dreams, oh. Valerie. They'll still be there for There were all these adverts for people lying on tropical beaches, looking at the swaying palms, the coconuts, the tropical sea, and eating a bounty. Mm. And it was absolutely gorgeous. It was like the National Lottery. And now they've taken all <laughs> that away. I mean, you go, go and you... Valerie, your... you are an advertiser's dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's not... I mean, also, in England, what they're doing is they're allowing you to bring back the uneaten bounties from the tin and swap them. Now, who wants to bring in bounties that have been in somebody's home, probably unwrapped, licked, God knows what, and swap them? Well, it was interesting um, because Bounty uh, put out this survey that said 58% of families said only bounties being left on the tin would cause a fight. Would that happen in your house, Kevin? I have no comment. I don't eat chocolate. Oh, man, I don't, know. I don't, know, how, I don't know how you're happy at all, Kevin. All right, look, we're going to have to leave it there. That's it from us this evening. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. And you can also find us on Instagram and TikTok tonight, EMTV. From all the late team here, good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.